Policing in the UK is very holistic with a wide base of skill sets. Policing in other jurisdictions can be very hampered because you are tasked to go and do something. I've been around a lot of police services and a lot of governance structures, and I would say out of everyone at the time that I was serving, certainly, the Metropolitan Police and the UK Policing Service was certainly the best one for going on and making something else out of myself. The value of a police officer within the Arctic Kingdom is, is, is vast. It's certainly six fingers. <laughs> Welcome to the latest edition of the Cognitas Global Podcast, and I'm joined this week by one of my friends, Mr. Mark Nuttall. Mark, welcome. It's an honour, Laurie, to be here on your podcast. Fantastic. Thank you, Mark. Now, Mark, I'll introduce you in your formal role at the, mo- at the moment. You are the chair of the Institute of Strategic Risk Management uh, for the UAE at the moment. You're based in Dubai. We're going to talk about risk management later on, but I think we need to go way back first, Mark. Um, and my, can I just say, first of all, I think you're very smartly dressed today. You'll notice I'm very casual, uh, so I can only apologise for my lack of sartorial elegance here. Uh, New, New Scotland Yard's finest, Laurie. Yeah, letting the letting side down, man. <laughs> uh, what, I would say, what I would say, mate, is I'm really pleased you left the violin case like aside. That's all, all I can say. But, um, well, I need however. that. I'm in Dubai, Laurie. I'm in Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> well, we move on to perhaps more serious things. So, Mark, you and I both shared a, uh, a career in, in the police. In fact, I think I probably was in there slightly longer than you. You left to take up uh, opportunities elsewhere. And one of the things I want to do really on this podcast is, uh, you know, perhaps give some helpful information to people that might be transitioning out of careers that we had. Uh, there's lots of challenges. It's not for everybody. Um it, there's lots of things that we need to do to prepare, and there's lots of things that we find when we've left that aren't quite as we thought they would be when we when we leave. Uh, we were both financial investigators at the Metropolitan Police way back. You yes. retired when, Mark? Uh, 2016. And how long did you do in the in the Met before you decided that uh, you wanted to create opportunities elsewhere? Half of my service. So I did 15 years in Metropolitan Police Service, which was... It took uh, a big operation at the end to finally kill <laughs> my want and enthusiasm to continue on. It wasn't in regards to the people. It wasn't even in regards to the job. It was more in relation to some big political things that were going on with a certain thing that I was running at the time. Um, and my want a little bit as well to help my family sustain because the job doesn't pay um, in today's economy, whereas it might have done previously. And I'm one of those that had a job house as well in, in the previous previous guys. Um, and all those trinkets of uh, being a police officer went. Yeah, I mean, I did cut all the announces, uh, obviously, and things change, uh, like many, you know, tightening up in many public sector jobs. But I know, you know, like many people, actually, and because we had a particular skill, things were opening up. I mean, the financial investigation was quite new, Although the legislation yeah. had been in for some time, legislation came in 2002 that changed the landscape, uh, and we had to be professionally qualified, which allowed some of us uh, that wanted to look outside perhaps to go for opportunities that were going to pay more, uh, you know, perhaps created a sense of more adventure if there could be, uh, and, <laughs> and just really changed the way that people wanted to, wanted to live, you know, to be fair, because... yeah. You know, the job did present its challenges. Uh, you know, we both saw good times and bad times. And it was very rewarding. You know, I look back with great fondness. But, you know, I look at uh, many people that left the job think, you know, 
I didn't really want to take the chance. I guess I've been in there for too long. You know, if I'd, I'd probably have had a much reduced pension. So for me, I was I was stuck. But for people like yeah. you, I sort of envied really and made the leap, and and dare I say, successfully. Um, you know, wait, when you left, what where, where did you go? So I started out in a consultancy, my own consultancy. So before I left the job, I learned how to do business. So while I was still in it, I was in a specialist unit. I was running a certain operation out of that specialist unit. Um, and that operation allowed me uh, a very, very deep insight into global business practices on a vast scale with thousands of companies and entities. Okay, it might have been recidivist practices, but it was still business practices. <laughs> um, and that then took me into kind of opening a, a physical space, a gymnasium, fitness industry um, in central London. Um, I started it from scratch, absolutely nothing. Uh, got out a small business loan for that and uh, successfully managed to um, achieve a, a good business out of it. And then I sold it off, um, got it merged and acquired. But it meant that I learned all of foundational business practices for a physical entity, which is start from scratch, um, buy equipment, uh, rent out a space, all of that formation stuff, opening business accounts, opening uh, VAT registration, accounting, marketing, search engine optimization, uh, business development, partnering, joint ventures. And all of those elements as well, I'd learned from my background in the uh, police service because you know, the police teaches you communication, negotiation, and being able to deal with people. And that is a core skill that I think a lot of people who are leaving the job leave off their resume, if I'm being quite honest. Yeah. Well, my first comment is I'm rather disappointed that you close your gym because after two new <laughs> operations after the last 12 months and a bit of sedentary activity over COVID, I probably could do losing a few pounds. Um, I'm making the effort You now. don't want me um, training you. <laughs> you don't want me training you, Laura. You know what? Someone told me about you and Pink Lycra, and I've got to say, you know, the old green goddess, the pink goddess stuff, not for me. However, uh, you're right. I think the communication side of it, a lot of people leave the job and they don't really understand what skills they possess. Unfortunately, people may not get the help that they need to transition. Uh, You know, I don't know. There are resettlement courses, but the biggest thing really is the fact that, you know, for those that have been in a disciplined you know, all the on-time stuff, I'm a professional person, all that goes without saying and, and is really part of what you should be doing in a new job. But the communication yeah. skills, the writing skills, articulation, dealing with people as a commodity, all of those are very, very great uh, areas for experience in developing any additional skills you've got. And clearly, uh, you know, you develop your business skills. Uh, the gym went, where, where did you go after that? Because you've ended up in the financial world. Eventually, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kept, uh, as is all, I think what's important to mention about being a police officer within the UK, because this is going out to an international audience anyway, is that policing in the UK is very, very, very holistic with a wide base of skill sets. Policing in other jurisdictions can be very hampered because you are tasked to go and do something. There's, There's always the foundation of response policing, a kind of et al., in a lot of um, jurisdictions, but you're very pigeonholed and limited. Whereas in the UK, and I've I've been in Interpol, you know that, Laurie, you know, we'll come on to that maybe later. 
Um, I, I've been around a lot of police services and a lot of police forces and governance structures. And I would say out of everyone at the time that I was serving, certainly the Metropolitan Police and the UK Police and Service was certainly the best one for my development of skills and uh, for going on and making something else out of myself because I learned a lot and it enables you to not just be, you know, one singular strand, you know, you've got to be a law practitioner. You've got, as you mentioned, Laurie, as, as kind of that additional tool that we've got when we became additionally powered confiscators, financial investigators, within all the rest of the tools that we had. You know, we also, so there was surveillance, there was response, there was a whole load of different things um, within UK policing that we also had skill sets in. And that financial investigation piece is one of the rare ones, especially during the uh, money seizure process of going in and being audible within the court system. You don't get that anymore. You don't, you're not able to do that as a standard police officer. When I decided to leave, I said to the consultancy, I got a um, kind of position within a financial institution in which this did a risk remediation process on that um, certain institution. It was up in the uh, north of England, quite a large retail organisation, some corporate business in there, um, that had gone through, through some troubles. Um, so I did that, completed that. I went over to the Caribbean, um, uh, did a similar exercise uh, in Jamaica for the Independent Commission of Investigations. Or something I can't remember what the name of it is now. Did a similar exercise, came over here to Abu Dhabi, um, over in the UAE, trained senior leadership in utilising kind of Hydra, uh, doing development courses, etc. here, uh, as well as giving them a... a an inclusive understanding of what juries are meant to do because they don't have that here. It's a judge, fantastic. Um, and and other, other caveats of, of doing that type of training. I know that we want to make this bouncy, so I won't go into it too much. Um, and then jobs in Europe, jobs in the UK, and jobs in Australia as well, all around the world, really. Didn't spend too much time in the United Kingdom, thankfully. And as a result of that, what happened is I also had kind of subcontractors and a and a whole heap of other people who were working for me. And again, I, I sold that book of business on, um, quite an extensive book of business, because networking, word of mouth, being able to get out there, being able to go to just having the new, I've got a family, okay, yeah, just having the nuance to, to, to get out there, to go into the world, to not be afraid, to take risks yourself, and educated and sustain risk, but risk no matter what, is a big part of leaving the job. And if you, you know, kind of want to get into statement taking when you finish the job and you just want some pin money, fine. But if you actually want to make a career and have that level of responsibility that you've had in the job, then really you, you need to be on a higher plane. And I think a lot of people pitch quite low when they leave the police service, not understanding their value. And the value of a police officer within the United Kingdom is, is, is vast. It's certainly six figures. <laughs> Um, and, and kind of not under that. It, it's it's the things that they can do far beyond um, a lot of kind of corporate individuals that I've met during my time. That's not kind of distilling their skill sets. But a lot of the time they're focused on one task or one thing or one pillar of business, whereas police officers just do everything. And they take on a great deal of responsibility to do that as well. Yeah, the thing that I found that, Mark, is that... Um... You know, not everybody can transition into the world that we've worked in. 
Uh, yeah. You know, to be fair, you've, you you know you've got to have a certain sense of business acumen, particularly if you are starting your own business. Um, yeah. Many people are successful as subject matter experts. <clears throat> yeah, I think you know there is a view that you can just leave a public profession uh, and automatically become some sort of expert or consultants and the, and the 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 streets no. of paper gold and or, or the rest of it. No. And uh, no. you know, some have survived out of that on a, on a network for a year and then drop off. But I think yeah. business has also changed where, you know, many people need the coverage of a larger organization now to support them in, in the way their procurement yeah. and all that sort of stuff goes. But yeah, I think most importantly, you know, those that do survive are the ones that see the need to develop themselves through a continuous professional development process driven Correct. by themselves ordinarily. And I guess I turn to you and say, you know, how did you, you've gone from, financially investigating the job you've had your training um uh, and then you've opened your gym but then you've gone back into a financial world where uh demands are tough standards are high uh you know people want their pound of flesh working all sorts of hours and consequences are significant if you get it wrong so you need to be on the money as it were uh, how did you develop yourself to, in order to acquire those skills around risk management and all the things that you've done since you you left then, yeah. I mean, many, so, many, many you pick up on the yeah. way, of course, but there yeah. are stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, kind for, of but. risk, 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 and crisis management is ingrained within us all in a police service setting, uh, and especially if you're busy, especially if you're in somewhere say, like Central London um, or south of the river, should I say? Um, but yeah, a, a lot, a, a, a lot of um, core skills are made within there. Before I was in the job, uh, I, I certainly learned learned kind of the hard way. For six months, I was homeless before I came into the job. Um, I had nothing. I was literally living on the streets in Roman Road in Bethnal Green, um, with kind of post being redirected to, to my familial home elsewhere. Um, but I know what it's like to go from absolutely zero, nothing less than that, to uh, kind of being in the position that I'm in now, and during the job I understood what real risk looked like uh, what it could be faced with and what the repercussions of those real risks might be because of the things that I did previous to the job as well the job taught me as I said at the start of this communication negotiation I didn't have that before I had kind of communication from being a friendly northerner and, and being uh, you know doing doing things previous to that but in terms of negotiation and, and communication that was key thing to go into business that is the main thing and it's about negotiating uh, because when you do business as you know yourself Laurie you've got to do business development no matter where you are in the chain no matter whether you're a CEO yeah. or whether you're down at the bottom of the yeah. peg business development is the core thing because without that you don't have any business <laughs> so you need to know about marketing you need to know when yeah. business is going you need to know about strategies and all within that is is levels of risk so i'm a i'm a project management professional i've got a pmi qualification it's not just qualification with the pmi you do an exam obviously um but it's about the things that you've done before so all those skills and jobs and all the all the things that i've done previous to getting that qualification bulked up a number of hours for me because I've run projects, I've run programs, I've run portfolios, not just in civilian life, but in the job as well, because we all forget 
that actually when we're running investigations, projects, you have a start, you have a middle, you have an end, you have budgets, you have cycles, you have staff, you have a, an immense amount of things, communication pathways, use of processes, use of programs, use of software, it goes on and on and on and on. And, it, you know, when I, when I had kind of the last, I'd say from probably about 2011 up to the finishing job, I, I, was, I was running, one of your colleagues was with me for some of that time. Um, I was I was running quite a complex operation, and I ended up completely running that operation with many staff within it, and actually a, a, a devolved budget to me that I was dealing with vendors uh, in relation to. So I learned a lot of that as well as running a gym at the same time. And then obviously I ran my own business, evolved from that. Then I went on to run a consultancy. Well, that's a different ball game altogether. Um, uh, and then I was international. International, you've got to understand about cultures. Thankfully, I've been in London. London's a melting pot of cultures. You understand how to really be a respectful individual to be able to utilise that communication, negotiation, pathway, skill set. Um, and in relation to kind of my next elevation from there, I, I got called up via Interpol to go and, go and work in Interpol as a, as a kind of officer, in inverted commas, but part of the executive staff. And that was, again, a, a different level. I was on the geopolitical scene from day one, dealing with ministers, dealing with country leaders, dealing with, uh, you know, big law enforcement um, entities and regional entities in the United Nations. That takes you on to, again, another gradient from all the skill sets that you've built up over time. I've been retired 13 years now. I've been worked in 38 countries and uh, been humbled by much of what I've seen, but learned some interesting skills and knowledge in that process that allows you to do exactly what what you say particularly if you're looking at business development you have to communicate uh, and articulate yourself on many many levels in many situations you know if i'd have said uh 20 years ago would i have been dealing with the stuff i'm dealing with now around contracts and procurement and knowledge i would have said never in many years it's interesting isn't it yeah, yeah i'm really yeah, on that journey that we both Come on, and, and you're right. You pick all this up as you go along. You do get professional qualifications where you need to because, you know, it's a bit like my own organisation. If anybody says to me what qualifies you to train or any of my staff or subject matter experts, yeah. they need to be able to say this. And, um, you know, that's why yeah. everybody in my organisation has those qualifications because you need that credibility. You need integrity Correct. in the way that you operate. But you, yeah. I mean, I think you were last in Singapore. Uh, you're still working for a big organization yeah. uh, as well as a director. Correct. Yeah. But let's talk about something that is very um, familiar to both of us, and this is risk management and corporate risk nowadays. Now, yeah, it's relatively new to, to me compared to the time that you've been doing it, but we've been delivering uh, crisis management exercises and engaged in risk management or crisis framework uh, stuff now for probably three three or more years. Um, it's interesting the way the landscape, the threat landscape is changing. I mean, cyber threats, huge, you know, from, uh, you know, state actor threats to, you know, entrepreneurs working as activists. Uh, yeah. I think I was reading something like 156 a million last night have recently been paid in ransomware demands and you've got this perpetual issue with companies do we pay do we not pay all this sort of stuff uh, I, I mean pay. how do you see it? Pay. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and actually, there, there was even an article about an organisation that was very keen to establish its credentials in terms of its integrity by trying to demonstrate that the data had been destroyed. You know, can you believe that? And, and ironically, I, I, I was at uh, I was at an event in um, I think in the Isle of Man where they were talking. There was a one uh, consultant who was talking about you know doing due diligence on the on the integrity of a of a cyber activist group, you know, around all this stuff. It's just crazy nowadays. I mean, yeah. anyway, how, how do you see it uh, changing? I mean, one of the biggest things for me, and we've come across this right from education to corporate stuff, is that yeah, the culture is changing. I think a lot of organizations are realizing it's not a question of if, it's when. Uh, there's yeah. been many, many uh, dusty crisis management plans that have sat on shelves uh, <laughs> with organizations saying it's never going to happen to us or it's too expensive for us to implement precautionary and preventative measures. That, that, <laughs> yeah. That um, one, my friend. <laughs> and all yeah. of a sudden, yeah. things are happening, and regulators are yeah. coming in and finding people 20 million because they can't, yeah. uh, you know, they're not secured their own data when it's lost and all sorts of stuff. So how do you see that general landscape? How do you see the, the cultural change um, and also the responsibility that organizations now need to take to start uh, proving that they're capable of resilience um, other than by having to do it as a mandatory thing through regulation or, or otherwise, it's mandatory. It's got it's got to be mandatory now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I was at the uh, United Nations World Investment Forum about three weeks ago. Now um, there's going to be standards pushed out by uh, IOSCO in relation to um, kind of a sustainability standard framework, and I, I, I'll kind of send you the link after so it can be included in this. This podcast. Can I just hold, hold you there with one observation? Of course you can. Yeah. TMA. TMA? For me? Too many yeah. acronyms. Yeah. Can yeah. I ask yeah. you so, what IOSCO yeah. is for the benefit of our listeners? Right. So. Okay. So it's <laughs> it's essentially it's essentially the international standard organization. It's like a, a standard setter. Okay. Okay. It creates um as a as a governing geopolitical organization. It creates standards that must kind of must be followed. Let's go. Let's go with that. I don't okay, often use that sure. phrase because a lot of countries don't need to take things on that get sent through via FATA for other organisations. It's it's a stamp, but they they uh, they send they only really send things through when it needs or must be followed. So they've created this. Uh, this standard framework that was recently released, like say at the United Nations World Investment Forum. Uh, and during that, it was the session for sustainable stock exchanges. So all the stock exchanges have now had to sign up to this, which means that the publicly traded companies, the financial institutions that are basically governed a lot of the time by those big players in the uh, stock exchange market, because let's face it, they are, um, and also then the trickle-down effect on small, medium enterprises must be followed. And as part of that, it's a big risk management exercise in terms of their full supply chain output, which means that essentially you, you've now got to do risk management a la carte from a environmental, social, and let's put corporate in front of governance part of it from yeah. an overall governing process and a kind of overall governance approach because what's happened is that they've put these things in place now or putting them in place because 
7 trillion USD has been going a year to uh, a lot of the developed countries, ironically, to get their house in order in terms of sustainable processes and renewables, etc., in terms of the sustainable development goals that a lot of countries have signed up to. Okay. Very few that have. They've got to do that and got to meet that, but they're not going to meet it because the money has gone elsewhere. <laughs> Seven trillion a year, modern money. A lot mm. of the bulk of that has uh, gone to developed countries, which questions are being asked. And then the rest of it have gone to developing countries. The emissions haven't haven't decreased, so the money has gone elsewhere. So as a result of that, the investors, of which there are a lot of private investors into the seven trillion, as well as governmental kind of sovereign wealth funds, are now going, these need to be in place because all of our money is now disappearing. So it's all driven by money. The reason why businesses don't do it is because of money. And the only reason when businesses do do it is because somebody's pointing at them with fines for money. So it all revolves around uh, the cost piece. And the problem is with compliance. Okay, okay, so compliance function is usually a tick box function within an organization if they are forced to do it by a regulator. And in that, they will try and limit the amount of cost spend given to that certain function. As police officers, and you can you know it as much as I do, Larry, is that when we were across the other side of the desk, away from financial institutions. Certainly the the general consensus was, must be chucking loads of money at this. It's a bank and it must have this and it must have that and they must be able to do this. <laughs> no, <laughs> is, is, is definitely the case. Uh, and um, I, I think that, that, that once you get out of the job, you see a lot of that if you gravitate towards um, kind of this risk management, compliance, regulatory, whatever field. It all kind of falls under one axis because anybody that's in compliance is basically uh, kind of two steps over the compliance of the regulators. It's typically criminal legislation that's driving it. However, a lot of the times they forget that the police are there. (laughs) They think about the regulator first and ticking the box. That's where the risk management portfolio comes in. And when you're talking about risk management at all for a business, it can be actually a big profit driver for the business. Because you can reduce some of some of the negative risk, but push the positive risk, i.e., doing things in certain countries that you might not have done so before, but you could do if you had the requisite knowledge and you were willing to change your risk tolerance. I hope that kind of I hope I didn't witter too much, but that's well, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. So in essence, you know, uh, things like ESG, so the environment, social governance, and you say corporate governance are now. Starting, I think, to provoke action and, and responsibility by organisations. So, for instance, next year, correct. I think a new EU directive around ESG bites, and although it bites in the EU or bite in relation to companies that have business outside of Europe as well. Um, yeah, I and mean, when you look at the relationship between crisis management and ESG, uh, and and if essentially if we just look at ESG very simply as measures now where an organization has to demonstrate that they are caring for the environment and they have plans to reduce emissions, uh, that they have social responsibility, um, and and also they have good governance. So they're looking at supply chains, the way that they manage their welfare of their workers, all of these things to demonstrate transparency so that they can demonstrate that uh, 
effective governance and all the rest of it to their shareholders, to their investors, to their stakeholders, and so forth. Uh, so that's exactly. Gonna, and it, yeah. That's going to drive e- a lot ESG. of crisis management now, isn't it? Ma- massively. E- e- ESG, and it's become, it was CSR before, and it was X acronym before that, corporate social responsibility, etc. All of these things are just a way of living life, a way of doing business. You're either a bad actor and a recidivist or you're not. Okay. So do you set up your are you a foreign state owned enterprise? And when you open your oil refinery in Ghana or wherever else that might be, are you going to pay your staff that are local? Uh, living wage? Are you going to do things in a renewable way? Are you going to utilise local trucking and exports, import exports? Are you going to give a good uh, inflatory rate and foreign exchange rate? You're going to be a good actor there. And are you going to invest in the local community and the building itself? And what does that look like? And all these all these other matters. And the local financial markets. Or are you going to be kind of a bad grey recidivist actor and do it exactly the opposite way. Are you going to bring in staff externally because you want a presence there and you want to affect change within the nation or the community or whatever for your own particular purposes? Are you going to build it in a really either slapdash way or without any renewable focus? Are you going to treat the local community as either scum or not pay them enough? Uh, of which then there are internal insider risks as well in terms of theft, terrorism, whatever crime you want to place into that. Not saying local communities do that, but everybody knows if you don't get a living wage, you seek it elsewhere. Um, so loads of things in that. And it, it's ESG is, is, has been tainted for particular people's own profession, if you will. So they'll go, right, environmental. What we'll do is we'll talk about fluffy trees and oceans. Truly, ESG is about doing good business. The reason why the environment is a mess is because businesses just haven't been operating in a sustainable, renewable, in a in a fashion that is good or a good acting fashion, should I say. It's, it's, and it's of like course, arguably, crisis management. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and, and well, not even arguably. I mean, and it, it cannot be anything other than a good thing if you're protecting the people that work for you, protecting the environment, which we know is, is very much under attack. And, and you're demonstrating good governance. And, I mean, look, you know, if you're a Correct. shareholder, if you're an investor, if you want inward investment, and perhaps maybe a, an interesting example analogy, perhaps is we're, we're working in Saudi Arabia at the moment, and um, yeah, the 2030 vision is a really interesting thing because they've got these huge projects like. Uh, like Neon, this walled city that's yeah. 100, I think 174 kilometres long, 500 metres high, right. 250 metres wide with a population of Correct. 9 million, line. no cars, self-sustainable, yeah. Um, yeah. all green. And it's yeah. actually the Crown Prince's, uh, within that, uh, his vision, 2030 vision, that's just yes. one thing, is yeah. uh, ESG. You know, So when yes. I was out there recently, uh, there are organisations out there that, of course, it's got established ESG practices and departments, but yeah. ESG is very much on the agenda in terms of um, bringing in expertise to help them with that. And and, and on the mm. other hand, also, when I come back to the relationship with crisis management, you know, um, crisis management and the exercises and the training and everything that you can do to prepare is, again, demonstrating to your shareholders, investors, and anybody else that what you're doing 
is trying to maintain the integrity, transparency of the business to ensure that it's going to good governance, ensure it's going to run properly, you know, preventative measures yep. against any crisis and so forth. So that's a very yep. interesting environment that we're working in at the moment. And that, you know, that is applying right across the whole industry, not just for the vision, Correct. but everything out in Saudi. So it is. I, I mean, I do see, I've seen the cultural change in terms of the work that we're doing for organizations that previously have had that um, plan yeah. on the shelf and now realize, you know, I mean, look, let's let's be honest. Uh, the Manchester bombing inquiry was a good yeah. example of yeah. how that has driven many things, including the new Martin's Law that's coming out, you know, that, that yeah. is going to require yeah. uh, premises to demonstrate they've got a counterterrorism policy, you know, in public spaces and all this sort of stuff. I mean, uh, and, you know, there were many people seen and organizations and police um, falling short in that. So, you know, again, out of that comes the need to demonstrate that you can deal with something effectively because, let's face it, the world is not becoming any safer as we move through. And no doubt it's free. It moves in cycles, but we are continuing under the threat of terrorism and all sorts of stuff and you look at things that are happening mm-hmm. in the Middle East and the consequences now so yeah but I I mean I guess Mark you know to sort of sum up really your overview how do you see that how do you see that cultural change happening or not happening and at what responsibility do you see that organizations have to take and boards have to take in order to move towards that ESG uh, satisfying ESG and, and the whole philosophy of, of, of maintaining that business I think I'll come back to comms again communication what i find in a in a lot of organizations that have uh bad crisis mass say bad or crisis management no crisis management or crisis management policies as you referred to earlier dusty are on the shelf uh, just left to to mold. actually good crisis management uh, doctrine but not practiced not trained upon um left to will left to wither that's what we saw in covid19 Everybody knows how to deal with SARS, respiratory di- diseases, outbreaks, and all that business. Everybody knows how to do that. Been doing it for years and years and years. But unfortunately, nobody had trained, nobody understood. People had left, people had retired. Nobody had to yeah. go anymore because legacies yeah. and lessons weren't learned. Okay. What I often find in businesses that have uh, poor crisis management or, or any kind of management is lack of communication. No communication systems. No uh, overall project management, no program management or portfolio management, no use of any modern systems. If they have any systems, it's on an Excel spreadsheet and within a siloed unit. And the business itself might have an ISO 31000 following for, um, for risk management. Might do might be able to do that but actually it hasn't followed it itself because it hasn't followed the holistic yeah. pathways of the business and disseminated yeah. it i.e the COZO framework and cube um and if it doesn't do that then you may as well tear that book up in the first place or burn it yeah. because nobody yeah. is utilizing it nobody's practicing it nobody's engaging with it and it just becomes something that every now and again gets brought up in a meeting somewhere, or maybe a training every now and again, or at e-learning. Yeah. Who actually learns from e-learning? I have no idea. Um, but all of the, all of these, all of these things, all of these processes via pure, pure communication, the conflicts that we've got at the moment for the communication globally. Um, some of them are geopolitically engineered, but 
um, is poor communication and a lack of understanding, a lack of cultural understanding, a lack of yeah. understanding how things work and pivot. Saw something the other day on the. I mean, both of me and you within the compliance, financial, crowd, whatever communities, as as well as all the rest of the skill sets. Somebody talking again about Hawala and informal value transfers. Step out of the United Kingdom, my friend, and you will see that that is the main <laughs> course and travel of funds throughout villages, yep. throughout towns, yep. throughout townships, globally. So don't put that as your number one red flag because it's these things. It's a lack of communication, a lack of knowledge. And when you were talking earlier on about knowledge engagement, being able to soak it up, going and doing qualifications, courses that aren't just qualifications and courses, but they're a, they're a, a, a kind of a, a linchpin mechanism for all the experience that you've had. And then you quantify that with a qualification. And, and that, to me, is, is, is the great value of things like ACES's, uh, so, so security institutes, uh, certified protection professional unit that I have as well. Because I've been in security. Before I was a police officer, I was in security. I was in for a little small amount of time in the military. Uh, you know, I've lived on the street. I've been a bouncer. I've done this, that, and the other. And then I became a police officer, and that definition is a security in, in its mind. And all these other things, it's 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 about confirming your experience level and your qualification level. If you had been speaking to me now at the start of my career, you probably wouldn't have even understood what I'm saying. I was a I was a vast northerner, you know what I mean, that had lived worked in 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 London and other sectors of the United Kingdom. I, I, I before I learned how to engage with the court, engage with people at all, uh, you know, and being a bouncer, you didn't have to even do that. Being actually engaged in the community and being a police officer allowed me to do a lot of things. So anybody that's looking to leave the police service, don't devalue those things. They are the main linchpin of, of being in business or being, uh, you, know, you know, going out to, to get another occupation. Communication is key. And I say this no matter where I go, and people think it's a bit fluffy sometimes, but it's not. It's, it's the main thing of, 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 of being successful in business. Well, I, I think having identified what era that suit came from, which is clearly your bounce era, uh, it may be a good time <laughs> to, uh, to to wrap up this conversation. And, uh, Mark, I, I just want to say that, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, anybody that's listening to this that might be looking to transition from not necessarily the police, but any job into this strange world that we work in, you know, uh, may have picked up some tips. Uh, consultancy is very, very difficult. You know, consultancy is hard nowadays. I think the biggest thing for me is if I was to say to somebody, um, decide what you want to do, train, go on a path of yeah. continued professional development or vocational pathway learning and blend your previous experience with your ongoing experience and just focus on that, really. And I guess if we look back, that's really what both of us have probably done, uh, along with many yeah. other people. Um, and I, I probably should just finish by saying as well, that although we, we do criticize organizations that put their people and their organization at risk because they're not looking at their crisis management framework and their risk registers and everything as they should do, there are, of course, many organizations that do this properly, that are protecting their people properly, that do train and exercise regularly. And, um, you know, I, I'm pleased to say that, you know, as I say, we're seeing that shift in, in, in the culture now and we're please say part of that as well but yeah hopefully mark in your job as chair of the institute of strategic risk management you will be pushing that message throughout the region 
And uh, I guess we look forward to the next time our paths will cross. And uh, thank you. And and, and what, what I what I would say before I disappear is keep doing it poorly until I come along, and then you can start doing it well because that's where I need the money from, guys. Please, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day. Thank you, Laurie. Cheers. 